Jack Prebeck, and we are all just passing through. Man is a history-making creature who can neither repeat his past nor leave it behind. That quote is from W.H. Auden. I believe it's Auden. Auden? Auden. I'm not schooled enough to know the proper pronunciation of the great poet. I once had a, uh, I was on my endless quest to self-educate and somebody had given me a gift certificate and I spent a bunch of money on a large collection of poetry that was a large coffee table type book and along with it there were uh, several CDs narrated by Charles Osgood. And in his soothing, comforting voice. And there was recitations of the poetry by the actual poets. I don't have that thing anymore. That was a pretty neat item. Man is a history-making creature who can neither repeat his past nor leave it behind. Art seems to transcend history better than most anything else I know. I remember going to a uh, museum and seeing a Vandermeer painting. I believe that's his name, Vandermeer, one of the Dutch masters, not the cigar, one of the famous Dutch painters. And looking at one of his paintings that was 500 years old or so and thinking, well, that's, that's a pretty good painting. And also in museums having a similar experience seeing ancient art and artifacts from uh, pre-Columbian period or say the Anasazi in New Mexico museums or Inca work or Aztec stuff. It still holds up. The art still has purpose. It makes you feel something, good or bad. It makes you react. It does seem, however, though, that if the art is highly reliant on uh, current technology, then sometimes it has effect on the timelessness of the work. I think of movies in particular that are highly reliant on special effects. They tend to look dated fairly quickly. My son just got really interested in King Kong and we watched some videos that uh, were discussing how the movie was made and all the special effects they used. And he saw some clips from the original movie from the thirties 
and compared to the more recent versions he said well that, that just looks really fake but at the time it was almost the opposite of that the big selling point was the the how realistic the whole thing looked and in some movies that are more story driven they have legs I could still watch The Hustler today and I bring that up because it's actually going to be something it's related to something I'm going to talk about here in a bit I had a sort of a, a vision the other day you know as as you know I've been thinking a lot about where performance is headed in the future and particularly live performance of music and it occurred to me that until the last hundred years or so the composition was the side of music that would lend itself to have staying power as there was no recorded performances and records certainly changed that particular performances even if they were overdubbed in a studio are now there for the ages and of course you have uh, music that developed during this period that involved improvisation which is both at the same time composition and performance And whereas the uh, composition was not as reliant on technology, the preservation of a performance certainly is. As we are moving along, though, I believe that the technology is going to play even more of a role on the live performance side of things. And of course, in the last 60 years, 70 years, let's say 70 years, where everything became electric and reinforcement of sound and amplification and all that goes along with it to all the digital capabilities that are employed in live performance. Technology has certainly had a great part in the evolution of our standards. And I was talking to my wife about this the other day. And I sort of foresee a period where I've, I've labeled what's going to be happening as high-tech busking. I think in the near future, you're going to see a lot more people doing a, a small act performance with loopers and maybe things like Ableton Live being used where one person can be very highly mobile and still be able to make a lot of noise and cover a lot of different parts. And see, I sort of envision that 
a lot of the traditional venues aren't going to exist in the same way. And I don't see uh, a big boom in places that are going to su- support a four, five, six, eight, ten piece band with a full stage. But uh, maybe you could have a guy over in the corner with his looper and playing for tips or mostly for tips or $100 in tips, whatever. And they can put on a little show. Maybe one or two guys. You know, I've seen people take uh, a little box they call the cajon uh, percussion instrument and they amplify it and they can in a way, take the place of a trap drum set, which is kind of interesting, too. I've been thinking about that a lot. Uh, I read an article recently where uh, Robbie Folks, a great singer-songwriter, was bringing up the fact that uh, our music in the last, in the last many years or so has all featured the trap drum set for its rhythmic uh, device and relied on the trap drum set. And we are so accustomed to hearing it that uh, it sounds weird to us when there's not a kick drum and a snare drum and a hi-hat. And even people that are making purely electronic music are emulating the trap drum set and it doesn't have to be that way you can make rhythmic sounds with most anything it is probably the original musical instrument smacking on something and I sort of envision the high-tech busker being able to uh, perform present music in in places that are not traditional to our minds traditional music venues if you're portable you can go most anywhere all you need is electricity you need the one outlet to plug your stuff in your power strip and this is what i was talking about with my wife i was saying i don't think that people are necessarily going to be very satisfied with you know, hearing somebody do the Woody Guthrie approach of uh, just out there shouting and hollering and banging on acoustic guitar. And there is another side of this is on traditional gigs, nightclubs I was talking about, bars, you know, somehow we got on to this uh, notion that the band, the entertainment, has to uh, put out four, five sets, four hours of music, which is really a ridiculous premise, you know, for a few people to go out and just uh, knock four or five hours worth of material out of the ballpark. Yet so many of us came up in that system. I think it uh, it ruined a lot of people in a lot of ways. I it never occurred to me until after years of playing four or five sets a night. I, I remember gigs where I did eight sets a night. 
I remember playing from 9.30 till 4.30, seven nights a week. I got to a certain point where I did a few shows opening for some more national known touring acts. And I noticed that after doing several of these, that the going uh, expected show was around an hour and 15 minutes. And I remember thinking to myself, well, if all you had to do was fill up an hour and 15 minutes, that, that'd be a real game changer. You can program your set. You wouldn't have to think about, uh, you know, what you're going to play early in the night as opposed to late in the night, blah, blah. You could start strong and finish strong. I think back to so many of these bands I was in, they were just uh, mortified of playing the same song twice in a night. They were, you know, the mark of a good band was you know, not only would they be able to put out four or five hours worth of music every night, they could they could vary it up from night to night. They wouldn't do the same show every night. Anyway, I sort of envisioned this high-tech busker probably uh, doing a lot more of improvisation on one level. So I'm thinking, you know, we're talking about loop-based musical structures, but you can certainly improvise on top of the loop to your heart's content. And uh, instead of killing time, if nothing's going on with two or three songs, you could just uh, jam over the loop. And, you know, actually a lot of the music I've been exposing myself to lately in the electronic music realm Ambient music, drone music, you know, you could uh, very easily see somebody putting this type of thing out in a live performance situation using loopers, or if they had an Ableton type setup, the possibilities are endless. And for those of you that aren't musicians, an Ableton, what I mean by an Ableton like setup would be. You would have some type of device, a laptop or a phone or a tablet, and you would have a program there and have sound clips, smaller loops at your disposal. They could be longer loops as well, but you could, with Ableton and uh, different types of machines, you can switch back and forth between, say, an eight bar clip, a four bar clip. You could even change keys get into more complex chord progressions and uh, really take the idea of loops into some interesting territory. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what uh, becomes of this as we see what I'm calling the high tech busker more and more and not just setting up and doing a gig in, in a bar or a nightclub. Could be anywhere, really. And on one hand, I see the freedom of the mobility and not having to rely on other musicians to go and put forth your product. I can uh, see that what people are doing in a live situation is going to affect how they compose and how they choose to uh, document their performance and their compositions. 
there really could be a sort of a new frontier for improvisation. One could even employ uh, random factors into what they're playing along with. And I think I've mentioned before, I think, you know, the exciting part is when you get past the notion of trying to emulate what came before, trying to emulate that trap drum set or that full rhythm section or four or five or six other musicians' tendencies. When you go past that into something that exists separately, that's when things really start to get exciting, when they really start to open up. Could be interesting stuff coming to a bar near you in the near future or a ice cream social or a underpass neighborhood cocktail party a garage who knows yard sale craft fair it's an open playing field thinking about this actually did get me to ponder all the time I actually have spent in bars over these low many years. When I was a kid, a teenager, I'll say starting at about 11 years old, I was running with a group of friends. We were all into pinball. That was a big deal, pinball. And we would actually collect soda bottles. You'd get the deposit on soda bottles to where we had a couple quarters and we'd go play some pinball. And the pinball machines were all in taverns around town. Taverns, the bowling alley. They were bars, but they were uh, also, you know, I don't know if I have to explain the concept of taverns, but I don't see it as much as I used to. They were a neighborhood joint where people would go and have dinner. Uh, maybe have a few beers and it wasn't uncommon, especially during the day for a few kids, young teenagers to be wandering in and out, dropping quarters into the pinball machines. And there was also in our town, a, a place called snakes pool hall. There's a little town on the Missouri river called Herman, Missouri. And like the song from the music man, Trouble in River City, pool was a big thing. Billiards, talking about eight-foot tables. And this was before the coin-operated pool tables, the vending pool tables. You had to uh, actually rent the time on the pool tables. And I I was never a good pool player. I got to where I could hold my own a little bit. But the game was totally different when it went from the 8-foot table to the 6-foot paid table. And Snake's Pool Hall was literally the type of uh, bar tavern that was a long haul it was narrow and they probably had i don't know 
five to ten of these really nice eight-foot tables in there and a couple pinball machines at the front and it was a uh it was a glorious atmosphere it was actually a little more adult than the other taverns that we would frequent to play our pinball to uh increase our pinball skill snakes tavern they uh, normally didn't allow kids but the owner was a long-haired guy he was always behind the bar and he got to know us and he would uh, let us come in play a few games and if it was slow he would even let us play a few games of pool now and then i believe it was 35 cents an hour per player you would uh, he would give you the rack and the balls and tell you which table and he would write down on a notebook what time you started playing and then uh, charge you at the end of your time actually saw a lot of money change hands in that place and uh, you know there was some gambling going on saw some fairly high stake games snake was one of these guys that uh, was bald on top but had long hair on the sides and wire rim spectacles this is the mid 70s early 70s drove a corvette he uh i remember one time we were sitting around after dinner watching bowling for dollars on the local st louis station that was a big deal at 6.30 in the evening, bowling for dollars. And uh, my dad loved that show because it was regular people going out, telling a little bit of their story, and then they'd uh, throw the bowling ball down, a, down the lane a couple times. And actually Snake, that owned the pool hall, was on there one time, was on bowling for dollars. And my dad uh, remarked, was that that's the guy that owned that pool hall downtown? I'd... I don't like you guys being in. And it's like, yeah, that's him. He was like, well, he seems like a pretty good guy. And then not long after that, a few weeks maybe, he was uh, killed in an accident racing Corvettes, drag racing across the Missouri River Bridge, which was a two-lane, a very narrow two-lane bridge and they were drag racing on it in the wee hours of the morning which is really an outlaw thing to do and he was killed as there was a truck coming in the other direction so the idea would be you would uh, start the race and you're just gambling it's like uh, playing chicken you're just gambling that there's nobody coming the other way because there's only two lanes there's no way to get out of the way if somebody was coming at you they figured i guess at three in the morning they'd have a pretty good shot at it so who knows how fast they were going but uh he head on the truck and that was the end of snake and snake's pool hall but we uh just went to another place across the street and they had good tables over there. And as we grew a little bit older, 
15, 16, got to where we got our driver's license. Going out and playing pool was uh, just one of the things you did. And pretty much everybody in our crew was passable at it. But we had all seen the, uh, the dangers inherent in playing pool for any type of real money. For back in the days at Snakes, we had seen from time to time players getting taken out the back door when they weren't able to uh, pay up when they were welching on a bet. And on at least one occasion, we saw an actual couple of guys that were hustling. They were from out of town. They hadn't been seen in the pool hall before. And they got into some games and the stakes elevated pretty quickly. We saw all this develop from uh, our station at the pinball machines. And anyway, after some considerable amount of money had changed hands, uh, these guys were found out or somebody figured out they were running a hustle and they were escorted out the back door by a group of the regulars and beaten with pool cues. As was, I suppose, the the custom, the customary way to handle a hustler. And all of these things, the smoke-filled room, the hand-carved pool tables, billiard tables, that added an, a bit of elegance to a rough and rowdy scene. The gamblers and hustlers and death racers. The crack of the pool balls. The lights of the old-style pinball machines. Drinking sun drop out of a green glass bottle. An old guy named Rojo that would sometimes dance and play a fiddle in exchange for a couple of Wiedemann's beers. A bunch of kids that were being somewhat treated like adults and expected to comport ourselves in an adult manner. All of these things left uh, quite an impression on a young man's mind. And a lot of that stuff was uh, the inspiration, so to speak, for the musical selection for today, which is from my album called Trespass. The song is called Rackham. Doesn't that tie in nicely? So once again, I'd like to uh, thank those of you that have tuned in to the short-term parking podcast and checked me out at Jack Prebeck Music on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, Spotify playlist called Filters Off, 
put any of that stuff into a search engine if you're interested in any of the stuff that I'm doing musically. Thanks again. And with that, I'm going to leave you with Rackham. 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 <laughs>